0: You're gonna set you free. How you doing? I'm back uh, from vacation, back from Washington D.C. Although it was kind of a covert operation, people didn't know I was there. And uh, before we bring our guest on, somebody had a really good idea. So I hope the people are listening. I am not. People ask me. I've had a number of people ask me because they see me drink Coke Zero um, when I do the show often because it's my drug of choice. Um, anyway, uh, I've had people ask me if it's like product placement. And if not, that, you know, Coca-Cola should be paying me <laughs> for drinking it on my show. So Coca-Cola, why don't you pay me for <laughs> drinking it on the show? <laughs> Am I allowed to say You have a lot to say that, right? Uh, anyway... Um, I do drink water, too. That's a good thing as well. I'm so glad to have back with us. I really enjoyed the last time he was on, Roy Hausman. Uh, Mr. Hausman is legislative director for the United Steelworkers, and he's been a part of the union's legislative and policy department uh, since 2011. He worked on a broad and continues to work on a broader range of issues, including trade and pensions. Now, Before being in Washington, D.C., he actually worked at the former Smurfit Stone Paper Mill in Missoula, Montana serving as president of USW Local 885. And after a trade-related mill closure back in 2010, he completed a master's of public administration degree. I want to point that out, because we were just talking off the air, you know, that people think it's terrible. I really do. I think they think, um, you know, union workers, USW, ah, union, steel, grunt, tough guy, you know. Yeah, it can be tough guy. Numerous men and women, very educated, very intelligent people. You know, you don't have to be a white collar worker to be educated. Uh, And and I think it's I think it's very smart for people to get into uh, trade schools and to have blue collar jobs because. God knows when I was paying off my student loans, a lot of those people were buying houses and uh, putting money in the bank that I didn't yet have, uh, but uh, with all those degrees. But speaking of a degree, like I said, uh, Roy completed a master's of public administration from the University of Montana, and he used trade adjustment assistant benefits which you can do if you're part of a union roy's efforts on aiding steel workers qualify for trade adjustment benefits has qualified over ten i i'm gonna say that again over ten thousand union members across the country for work training because of trade impacts he's been on the show multiple times it's good to have him with us he always gives a great interview i always learn a lot and i enjoy having him on excited to have him back uh roy thank you for joining us do you prefer mr hausman i think we're on a first name basis now Roy,
1: aren't we yeah, I would say so. I really appreciate the opportunity to join you guys today. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Because I want people to know more when we're not on the air, please follow Roy on Twitter at Roy Hausman, Roy Hausman, H-O-U-S-E-M-A-N, just like it sounds. And also follow the Steelworkers on Twitter at Steelworkers and go to their website, learn a lot more about the U.S. what the USW does, because it does a whole heck of a lot. Um, even though I'm really familiar with them, I was like, oh, God, I didn't know you did that. USW.org. Uh, uh, Roy, thank you for joining us and uh, so much to talk about. So let's get to it. Um, our nation, historically, um, was the leader in manufacturing, right? We used to be on the cutting edge of manufacturing, innovation, innovation. There's been declining investment in uh, in, in uh, manufacturing in the United States, certainly outsourcing corporations trying to H.O. and Mexico and Bangladesh and China and places like that. We've also had decades of bad trade deals and it's left our nation at a competitive uh, disadvantage Um it results in plummeting numbers of good manufacturing jobs. Uh, the BLS calculated manufacturing employment fell from 19.6 million in 79 to 12.8 million in 2019. That's down 35 percent. Um, I, I want to talk about first those numbers. OK, I said last night on television because we were talking about the supply chain issue. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to talk about that cog in the wheel. Um, and and I get I, I was worried people get mad at me last night. and They didn't. I was surprised. But. We as consumers are partially responsible for this, aren't we? I, I I mean I say that because when I was a little girl, I remember picking up this teacup I thought was pretty, and I and my grandmother turned it over, said "Made in China," and I didn't say this on TV. I said "junk," but she said, "That's crap. Put it back." And and uh, I I just remember, and then we know the song. Look for the union label. Um, can we make lemons out of lemonade with this this clog in the wheel? Can we? turn some of the competitive disadvantage that we have specifically, you know, in manufacturing here in the United States around, because if you don't buy your stuff from China and other places, we wouldn't have the, you know, this, this wouldn't be a problem. And it's a, it's a problem. You know, I mean, when you go to Target and the shelves are bare, then again, I must say, it also teaches us, I think how lucky and spoiled we are as a nation and to do with less. Well, but let's talk about that. Because what we're talking about is good manufacturing jobs. Why wouldn't corporations seeing this clog in the wheel, seeing this hatred toward China, Russia, etc., and what's happening on a global level? And we're not just talking about inflation. Um, we are to t- talking about supply chain issues. Why wouldn't corporations make the products here again? They would come out as heroes. More people would buy their products. Um, there would be crea- creating jobs, and not just creating jobs, but creating better product. Because we know the reasons T-shirts are three for ten bucks is you wear them once, you wash them, and they're done.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is actually a really good point, right? Like, for our members, which, you know, as you pointed out, we make a whole host of commodities that kind of are, like, in the base subset, right? So steel, paper, glass, all of these major materials, uh, the plastic that comes in that Coke bottle, for example, all of these materials and chemicals that are produced, our union makes. And we know that, like, other countries have been doing all this investment. Uh, you know, they've been providing direct support to manufacturers, a to re- re- to to encourage uh, international multinational corporations to source in foreign countries, but also it has created a, dis- a competitive disadvantage. There's this innovation effort that we often talk about uh, with with manufacturing. That you know, with the R&D and the manufacturing is done in the same, uh, in, this, in in right next to each other, you have this like virtuous cycle that builds. And so we see this as an opportunity here when we talk about manufacturing. Is that Congress has a role here? Uh, governments have been playing a role across the world about pushing manufacturing. China puts five-year plans on individual products and they build them out. Well, there's no reason that the U.S. can't do the same thing. Right, And I think that's one of the major reasons why we're so excited about these two bills. Uh, you know, you, you, we call USICA here in D.C. and COMPETES, right? They have acronyms. They're very long. The United States Innovation and Competition Act, for example, is the USICA bill. And COMPETES is actually an acronym, too. But I'm just going to call it COMPETES because I can't even tell you the full name of that one. Um, and it, it's a situation where we know if these bills, when done right, uh, they will provide Billions of dollars for manufacturers and workers to improve their workplaces and actually compete globally. And I think that that's something that we really gotta. Uh, we we're excited to kind of see. We've had a ton of votes already in the House and Senate on this, and we're kind of on the final stages. And this is an opportunity for us to see what we could see almost two two hundred billion dollars in manufacturing spending, and an innovation, competition, all of the things that. Will allow our country to continue to maintain its competitive edge, because
0: it, it you know, like when you talk about competition, I, I mean the numero uno competitor we want to compete with and need to compete with is China, um, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and other nations, obviously. Um, this can help regrow our critical supply chains that we talked about, and also invest in manufacturing not just now, but looking forward into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it, let's talk about these two bills. Sure. Um. First, I'm going to ask uh, the one in the House and one in the Senate uh, aimed at helping us stay competitive against China, aimed at protecting workers against those greedy multinational corporations who are sending our jobs overseas uh, and, and seek out those low wages overseas and also illegal subsidies in foreign countries and child labor, I might add. Um, are these two uh, – let's let let's break it. I guess uh, we have two minutes. Let's break it down. The Senate bill is the United States Innovation and Competition Act. Like you said, you seek uh, um, now, the Senate bill, is this comprehensive enough? Can you break down a little bit of what the Senate bill does? And we can talk after the break about the House bill.
1: Sure. So really quickly on the Senate bill, it you know we found the Senate bill lacking in a few key items, but it has some pieces that will help with the science and technology side that will allow for workers and these companies to better like work with universities and others to bring technology to manufacturing. Those are important and but they also included some tariff cuts that we think aren't totally necessary and they didn't incorporate a lot of other pieces so we think that there's an opportunity with the senate bill you know but we took the house bill and we also kind of really ran with the football there and we'll talk about it more on the other side of of the break as you're talking about but i think for us like we see there's one big piece is the chips act and this is in both bills but in the senate bill this is kind of the the star piece and this is 50 billion (laughs) dollars Uh, $52 billion, actually, um, to help reinvigorate our uh, domestic semiconductor supply chain, which has gone from about 35 percent of global chip production down to like 12 percent of uh, global chip production. And as everyone knows, when they talk about a car, you can't have a car without a semiconductor chip these days. Correct. So,
0: yeah, my, my brother worked in semiconductors. He lost his job. It was shipped overseas. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, uh, yeah he's a chemical engineer, and that, that's, uh, that's his uh, business, uh, semiconductors, or yes. was for most of his life. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have more with you, more with our guest, Roy Hausman, Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Roy Hausman, Roy Hausman at Steelworkers, follow the USW, and check out their website, usw.org. Back right after this, I'm Leslie Marshall. We're back. on Leslie Marshall. We are me and Roy Hausman. He's legislative director for the United Steelworkers. Uh, USW.org is the website. Check it out. And follow them on Twitter at Steelworkers. Follow Roy at Roy Hausman. Uh, We're talking about getting manufacturing competitiveness right. We are talking about two bills. The Senate bill, uh, the United States Innovation and Competition Act, which is USICA. And also we're going to talk a bit about the House bill. America Competes Act, which is competes. Um, uh, Roy, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I feel like you were rushed for time regarding the Senate bill um, before we jump to the House bill. How is this looking as far as support? I mean, even though we have the Vice President Kamala Harris tie-breaking for Democrats who, you know, tend to be in favor of, you know, this type of legislation, we certainly have seen with infrastructure bipartisan support but then there's that guy named Joe Manchin that sometimes throws a wrench in things uh, for um, legislation that Democrats support. Um, is in the Senate uh, with you, Seeka? their bipartisan support for this legislation?
1: Yeah, so there is bipartisan support here. Um, 19 Republicans voted for the bill um, in May of last year. And, you know, we see that as a positive uh, development. And it, honestly, like it's a good this is a good you know, if you want to hold China accountable, multinationals, uh, you want to encourage that de- de- investment domestically, um, this is a great step. So we saw 19 Republicans uh, join Democrats, uh, all Democrats, in support of the, of the bill. Um, so this, you know, they they passed their version, right? And. What was interesting is they passed a big trade title in there and that when we talked a bit about, a little bit about this trade title where it didn't include some of the things that we wanna have incorporated like trade adjustment assistance, but it included a major tariff cut called the General Systems Preference Program. And what this is is kind of a development program or it was thought in the past, but it really, like when you look at the top tariff cuts on some of these items, the number one item that received a tariff cut in 2019 was gold chains. Number two and three were handbags of uh, of leather or composite material, AKA purses um, of high value, of any value over $20. So we're talking about gold chains and Gucci bags for tariff cuts while, we're, while there wasn't any money for job training and a few of these other pieces, right? So we know that there's an opportunity to kind of take what the Senate product here, and t- then they the House passed their product and now we have to merge it right so they're doing an old, something that used to be done all the time in, up here in Washington DC was a conference committee right they, you know and this yeah. is like when you talk about like the you know the he's just a bill the you know the old school rock pieces you know where they they would kind of go through and that's the house would pass a bill the senate will pass a bill and then they have to merge those two bills and so they're going to they they've selected 108 uh, members of congress to kind of go through these two bills and pull the pieces that are going to be the best to move forward and hopefully pass the Senate. So yeah, we know that there's Republicans that have supported one version, and now the House version, which I think we've put a lot, the steelworkers put a lot of effort in, and we know that th- with those added elements of the House, we could have a really good innovation bill. Um, so that's why I'm like very excited to talk to you all a bit because we put um, some really big effort in here, and we're really doing engagement um, uh, with senators, both Republican and Democrat. To highlight, hey, you guys have a decent product right now with USICA. If you put a few more elements from the competes bill, we can knock this out of the park.
0: And, and also, you had mentioned the bill is going to conference. That's so con- yeah. Congress can just reconcile the differences between the two versions. And I do yep. want to highlight one of the reasons you guys work so hard on the House bill um, is that the House uh, version is the only version that really has meaningful changes for workers and manufacturing employers. So if I were to ask you, um, not the differences between the two versions, um, you know, but, you know, what would what would be a great compromise? Obviously, you know, the, the Senate incorporating more of the House bill and accepting uh, America, accepting competes over USICA uh, mm-hmm. because of those changes for workers in manufacturing and manufacturing employees. Let's break it down a little bit. OK, sure. um, I, I just. I love the, fir- the, the first one we're going to mention, to be honest, when I was looking over these materials. Leveling the playing field, Act 2.0, okay? Yeah. Um, this creates accountability, right? Makes. It, well, why don't you tell people, right, oh, rather than me, yeah. listen, you know, <laughs> little, you know, the notes here that you guys are awesome sure. to help me with. Yeah. Um, talk about leveling the play field, uh, Act 2.0, because isn't that what we all want? I, yeah. I mean that's not a political thing. That's a fairness thing,
1: right? No, this is really cool. So this is bipartisan legislation that's separate that they have a separate bill both in the Senate and the House. But in the House, they incorporated the bill in competes, right? So, you know, in the Senate, Senator Brown and Portman, Republican Democrat, um, you know, uh, are, are leading that legislation. And on the House side, it's Representative Sewell and Representative Johnson, and those two, you know, and then a bunch of other members, which they're all wonderful for signing on, but. Really, this is like an update to our trade enforcement laws, because just the same as like, you know, your phone has an operating system, it needs to be updated every so often. And I think one of the things that we do, our trade enforcement needs to do the same thing. So like this will create some accountability, basically allowing workers or workers and companies when they file a trade case. This is basically when someone's dumping goods into the U.S. market at below market cost they do this to capture market share and shut down American plants so that they can keep their plants in a foreign country operating. Mm. So we want to make sure that we, we capture and stop those things right as soon as they happen. So for example, one of the things that we're seeing right now is this: in China, they do this Belt and Road Initiative. It's an outbound investment piece, right, where they, they're spending billions of dollars building plants in other countries like Vietnam, Korea, Indonesia, like all over the globe. Actually, Serbia, um, and so this is like one of those items where you can, with the leveling playing field 2.0 provisions that got added into uh, the competes bill, we can stop, we can better hold these um, dumping uh, multinational corporations and, and governments that are allowing dumping and uh, illegal subsidies to happen to, and pushed into the U.S. market. So it's kind of technical. But at the same time, like this is about for us, like we see our tire plant in 2015, we had a plant uh, in uh, all these tire plants. We represent half the tire workers across the country. And they were seeing lost orders, and they were seeing a huge jump of tires into the US market. And we won that trade case in 2015. Fast forward five years later, we had to file a whole new trade case against four other countries. And in part, because we'd seen China put money into Vietnam, South Korea, and others, to then build up capacity there and then dump tires back into the US market. So now we've had leveling the playing field 2.0 basically says, no, that's no good. We're gonna stop that right now. We're gonna hold these third country subsidies is a technical word um, and we're gonna stop them at the border. And then there's other things like basically importers pull these tricks and basically try and cheat the system so that they can get lower tariffs. And so, you know, for those that work hard um, and want to see our government work right, like this is, you know, this is one on one for us. And we were super excited to see it included in the competes act. And knowing that it has bipartisan support on the House and the Senate, we're hoping to see it in the final product. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just one piece that we've spent yeah. a whole year on.
0: <laughs> I-, I know. And I can tell. I can tell you're passionate about it. I can tell you're excited. I can tell you've been working hard and long on it. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to. um break it down a little bit further. Like you said, it's technical so that people understand you know, what this does because accountability is a big umbrella over what leveling the pay- playing field act 2.0 does, right? We're gonna take a break, uh, we'll be back. I'm Leslie Marshall, our guest is Rory Hausman, legislative director for the United Steelworkers. Follow him on Twitter at Roy Hausman, follow the Steelworkers at Steelworkers and check out their website, usw.org. We're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. How are you doing? Roy Hausman, Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers is in the house. Hausman is in (laughs) the house. Uh, He is our guest uh, in this hour. Very pleased to have him. Uh, We are talking about getting manufacturing competitiveness right. There's a bill in the Senate, a bill in the House, the one in the House doing more for workers. Check out the USW, USW USW.org. Follow Roy on Twitter at Roy Hausman and follow the Steelworkers at Steelworkers. Roy, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, talking about leveling the playing field to Act 2.0, let's break it down a little bit uh, more. Um, like you said, it's really technical. Um, would you say say or it's fair to say that it creates accountability because it makes it easier for our workers and the companies that our workers work for uh, to stop those offenders, specifically repeat offenders? Um, and also, uh, my understanding is it speeds up the enforcement process. Is that correct on these violations?
1: That's right. Like this is a this is for us like a 101, you know, and it's funny because they call it leveling the playing field act 2.0 because in a few years ago, Sherrod Brown and Senator Portman led on uh, leveling the playing field act 1.0. <laughs> and it it basically updates our trade laws. And so we've just got to keep going on that because it really is a situation where when we improve enforcement, we clarify the processes and timelines that allow our workers and our companies to better compete um, in these trade cases, it just moves things along, and at the last thing, it allows them to focus on the most important thing, and that's making goods, making the things to get out to, to American public. And, you know, so they aren't spending money on you know, quite frankly, lawyers and and others to try and build a trade case. They want to have this be fast, just the same as we expect our you know, we expect government to work fast. We expect business to work fast. And uh, this is what those provisions really do, is because we want our
0: stuff fast, and yeah, like you exactly. Said, you, know, you want them to, you know, concentrate on making the stuff so we can buy the stuff and get it to us faster. You mentioned China, and you had mentioned um, that China and and around the globe, there are products that are dumped here into the United States. This um, legislation or this specific uh, act uh, within the legislation would target grants for Chinese companies that spend billions on uh, factories in China to do just this, right?
1: That's right. So, yeah, what happens now is is, uh, major multinational companies that are based in China, they will will get money from the Chinese government to build plants in other countries now. And then they use that. So, for example, in Serbia, they're building a 13.2 million tires uh, unit facility. That's going to impact the region in Europe, and they're very likely to export those tires into the U.S., and so for our members, like, we want to be prepared if this tire plant dumps a bunch of tires into the U.S. market. And that's what the leveling the playing field 2.0 is, is to say, no, we've seen the subsidies that China being provided to Serbia. And we're saying, no, you can't bring those tires in now. Or we're going to raise the cost of those goods so that's it's on a level, uh, even market, so that we don't see um, U.S. firms lose and workers lose their jobs to, to, to nonsensical, like, Basically, subsidies that will put our members out of work. And then, you know, that's just one kind of stool, right? And I think the another stool that we're really excited about is this bipartisan effort that we worked on called the Supply Chain Resiliency Act. Um, You're reading this, my mind. That was my yeah. next question. <laughs> that, 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 that,
0: that was my my next question. Because, I mean, you know, we, we when we talk about the dumping and all of that, the bottom line for that, you know, first uh, act within the legislation is it helps we, the United States, become more efficient, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Talk to us about um, the uh, Supply Chain Resiliency Act. Uh, a lot of money here
1: for this. Yeah. And this is like leveling the playing field act is like the shield and the Supply Chain Resiliency Act is like the sword, right? Oh, get... I love that analogy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I love it because it, it makes it simplistic and it's um, you know, I like it because, you know, it's, it's visual, you know, I I mean, you know, and I love, you know, having a visual and, and I think people understand better when you, when you explain it like that.
1: Yeah, no, it's this idea that, you know, yes, a good defense is good, but an offense is great as well. And so you take this idea that we have in America, for the last 40 plus years, we kind of got away from providing industrial support for our our manufacturers. And it shows, look, I worked in a paper mill for five years. And, you know, the investment in that plant, the company would do its private investment. But if we would have had a little bit more support, we could have probably retooled. And that plant could have probably lasted a lot longer. And this is one of those things that we're we saw an opportunity here, working with Republican Representative Kinsinger and a Democrat member uh, Blunt Rochester, and Representative Malinowski, another Democrat out of New Jersey, where they wanted to provide a, a fund in the Department of Commerce to rebuild our supply chains, because we know, for example, I use this a lot: titanium sponge. It's a the. It sounds kind. Of, it's like it's not. It looks like a sponge, but it is basically the base product for titanium, and the U.S. doesn't produce it anymore. 67% of all titanium and sponge production right now is in China, Russia, and the Ukraine. Mm. Think about that. So, like, all your, all your, you know, the aircraft, landing gear, all of these parts that require titanium, like, we don't have the capability, both for defense and for civilian purposes, to actually produce that in a time of crisis. Well, I hate to say it, but we might be in a time of crisis. Mm-hmm. And... And so this fund is designed to help And when, out, and, and, when
0: yeah. and, and when two of those three are not our friends.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and You
0: know, you don't want a military crisis and you have to look at two people who, God knows what your situation will be in the future militarily with those. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah to be dependent upon them for that. Totally. Or two of the prongs, yeah.
1: Yeah, and for us, like we had 200 members in in Henderson, Nevada, just right outside of Las Vegas, who would make this titanium sponge, and they lost their jobs in 2020 because of this plant closure, and they were they literally could produce like 12 to 14,000 tons of titanium sponge that would go across the country, and and be made into the various important commodities, and so this re- supply chain resiliency fund would be targeted towards these. Key critical minerals and materials, so that U.S. producers know that they could get access to a fund and rebuild that supply chain. Because you know, and we see this as super important. It will retool critical goods and many industrial equipment. Um, allows us to re- relocate manufacturing from China into the U.S. And then one of the things that we spent a lot of time working with Representative Kinsinger, um, you know, because look, he's a Republican, so be very hesitant, right? Um, it was this idea of labor neutrality. And the, for us, like this is a pretty straightforward thing, is if the federal government's gonna provide lots of resources to rebuild a supply chain, those jobs should be good jobs, right? And you know, so we found a way to, to, we worked with them and in a way to basically say, we're gonna create a labor peace agreement. If the federal government provides resources to rebuild that supply chain and workers wanna form a union there, uh, let them form the union and not have all this nonsense of fighting and doing what the tactics that Amazon and Starbucks are doing today with to all these, to these people just trying to get a basic collective bargaining agreement. You know, that's all we really want is like this little agreement right here, <laughs> which I'm holding up with CBA. Sorry for the radio people.
0: <laughs> uh, that's OK. The other people that are listening, I think, I don't know. It depends on the day. But yeah, a lot of people... Uh, a lot of people watch, especially on uh, on fr- on Fridays. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like in the Supply, Ch- Supply Chain Resiliency Act, if you could speak to this, is relocation of manufacturing facilities from China to the United States, which is what Americans want. That that there's there's no question. It Doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. We want more. We want factories brought back here. We want jobs brought back here. We want products made here. Yep. And and I really think I I don't think I know that if there were more choices of what you can buy that's made in America, more Americans would buy made in American, and they would be more conscious of their um, consumerism.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, this is a really neat piece, right? Is this idea, and you know, we know that there's these supply chains, and that they're receiving all of this support in China, well, this is an opportunity for us to say, well, you know, we're going to support our workers and our manufacturers. And the Department of Commerce will, you know, if this program comes through and they land it um, on the back end of this conference, like this is an opportunity for manufacturers to go and get assistance from the government that isn't available to them otherwise. And other countries are already doing this. I've You know, we compare this oftentimes as we, a lot of times, American manufacturers show up to the global stage with a knife in a gunfight. And this is an opportunity, this Supply Chain Resiliency Act, to kind of retool, rearm, and get us back in the business of being a global supplier. And I think that's one of the cool things that we, working on a bipartisan fashion, we were able to kind of draft something that works for both sides of the aisle. Um, And it was one of 52 bipartisan amendments that were added to the COMPETES Act. And I think that's something that's gotten lost a lot, is that the Senate Republicans try and use this tactic of uh, saying, oh, well, you know, the House bill is a partisan effort. And when we talk about 53 different uh, bipartisan amendments added, you don't count the last vote, you count what the product is. And I think that's one of the things that we're excited about is this ability to take rebuild our supply chains, and do it in a way so that American manufacturers and the workers can benefit with a good good wage and good benefits. We're going to take
0: a break. <laughs> uh, when we come back, I want to um, talk specifically about that Henderson, uh, Nevada situation uh, because I, I like another part of that legislation. And then we want to talk about TAA, HCTC, and all that great stuff. We'll be back right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall, Roy Hausman from The USW is our guest. Don't go away. Hey, I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome back Talking to Roy Hausman, Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers. Follow them at Steelworkers. Follow him at Roy Hausman and check out their website, usw.org. Um, Roy, before the break, when we talked about uh, the Supply Chain Resilience, uh, Resiliency Act, and you had mentioned the 200 or so USW members in Henderson, Nevada, who lost their jobs, you were talking about that titanium sponge um, and that plant closed in 2020, this legislation, it, it, as my as I understand it, and you could you know explain more, would also map and monitor critical industry supply chains, um, that would allow us to potentially to respond to potential job losses in critical manufacturing. That to me yeah. sounds amazing. How how can that be done? We, with, with legislation.
1: Yeah. So this legislation basically sets up a system to like have the government monitor and uh, basically be proactive on when we start to see critical goods and manufactured goods move overseas. So like, think about this. I mean, I look at, uh, when our country dropped manufacturing investment subsidies- So wait a minute, sorry, I want to interrupt. So yeah. people
0: understand, I apologize yeah. for the interruption. Oh, yeah. So just, just understanding. So kind of, it would kind of pre- be able to predict the supply chain issue before it happens and predict mm-hmm. a closure and job losses before it happens.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is what's really neat is this idea. That, yeah, it's being proactive, like instead of letting government just respond, government being out there and being active to make sure that we don't lose this competitive edge. And that's one of the cool things about, uh, I think, the Supply Chain Resiliency Act. Because you look, when a week, when you look in the past, when our country dropped manufacturing investment, the results are pretty staggering. I mean, we we talked earlier about the loss of manufacturing jobs from 1979 to 19, 2019. But right now, today, China accounts for 51.3% of global steel production, just one country. Like, same with, you know, we talked about titanium and how Russia, Ukraine, and China all account for almost 67% of global production. Look at aluminum. China alone represents 57% of global production rare earths, this is the stuff that goes into your phones and electronics and important for semiconductors. 70% of global production is based in China alone. Fiber optic cables just allowing us to speak today, like that's almost 61% is all based in China. So this fund is like, just to say it's time for us to rebuild some of that capability for us here in the U.S., and I think that's one of the key components why we've been so active on this. And for our members who a good portion are in manufacturing, this is gonna benefit them and it benefit American public. Because we all good union workers, good union wage, they help support their communities. And I think that's one of the big reasons why we've why we've been out there on supply chains so hard.
0: I think it also is what for years made America stand apart from the rest of the world. It certainly is the majority, the working class is the majority of this country and built this country and can can continue to build this country, you know, into the future and uh, take us forward and make it stronger and and make better products. I mean, mean, seriously, when we look at when we uh, dog Ikea, but I mean, you know, that's not furniture that's built to last. How many of us have a piece in our home or in our attic or garage or somebody does somewhere? Yeah. A piece of furniture that was made in this country um, decades or generations ago, and it's still there, and oh. it's it, you can still use it. Maybe you got to fix the cushion. Maybe it's a little tacky kind of print, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I mean yeah. because because it because it's made well. I also want to talk about the security that this mm-hmm. legislation uh, provides um, for workers here in the United States, and also to um, uh, assist workers. Um, who've lost their job already because, you know, we've talked about bad trade deals, right? We had uh, trade. Adju- this trade adjustment assistance, TAA. Uh, there's the health coverage tax credit, HCTC. Um, that would make both of those permanent. That's game changer as well. and would take a lot of time away from guys like you. We're not, sorry, my dog's barking. Uh, it would take, uh, take. he wants to be on the show. He's jealous. Um, to take, take away, um, you know, time that you guys don't have to Fight at the, you know, at, at at the, you know, bargaining table time and time again for um, assistance, right? You know, trade yeah. adjustments ass- assistance or you know for healthcare benefits, for healthcare coverage. I mean, the list goes on. The bill makes both permanent.
1: Yeah, no, this is a big deal, right? Like, if you go back all the way to two thousand nine, trade adjustment assistance has provided eight point eight billion dollars in job training benefits across the country. And I think that that's a key item here that we don't talk about enough. It's like, so I, my job is to spend a lot of time talking about job training, uh, and the U.S. in compared to the rest of the uh, OECD organization of economic. It's a it's a big conglomerate of European and U.S. countries, um, and they basically do research. And on that, um, the OECD has found that the U.S. spends less per um, person. Than any other country other than Mexico in the OECD. Um, And that's really on job training benefits. And this one program, Trade Adjustment Assistance, is one of kind of the beacon of like the ideal for job training. And I speak about it in a personal way, because I did. I went through the program and having, you know, we talked earlier about how we've, you know, I've helped a lot of people get the, the access to benefits. And it's pretty straightforward. If you want a good outcome and you want to upskill workers, then you pay them to upskill, right? Absolutely, <laughs> It's just, it, it's 101. And so Trade Adjustment Assistance, the program that got added into the Competes Act, is it, not just like a renewal. It's a better program, right? So it provides a child care credit because it's hard to go back to school to upskill for a new job when you have you know, you're not sure if your your kid's going to be able to make it through childcare. There's going to be a
0: gap there,
1: and you yeah, need,
0: yeah, you need to fill that gap. Yeah,
1: and then the health coverage tax credit, as you talked about, it's a tax credit to help you pay for your health care coverage while you go back to school, and you know, as I heard that over and over again at the mill, like you know, when you have people, they have to. What do I do about getting child care? And you realize, like that's something that we can we can fix right and it's available if we pass these sorts of programs and when you know we talked about earlier you know congress is p- planning to pass a giant tariff cut but they aren't going to provide job training benefits for workers well, i just don't think it's the right you know those aren't the right decisions and that's why we're so excited to have this conference committee where they can merge these bills and we're going to fight for the trade adjustment assistance. We're asking you guys, everyone, to, uh, in the, on our members, to get out there, ask their members of Congress and their senators to basically say, "Are you going to include trade adjustment assistance? And why would you create tariff cuts for a bunch of items like handbags and Gucci and gold chains yeah. when you could pay for job training benefits that help all workers? So they, by making it permanent too, it just prevents this." fight that we're we always do so and um, I want to point out some of those Gucci
0: handbags depending on where you get them aren't Gucci that's
1: right
0: (laughs) God knows what you're paying what you're paying for I want to um we talked about bipartisan support for this legislation Mm -hmm. And there's not just bipartisan support, but new polling from Data for Progress finds that a strong majority of voters, regardless of their political leanings, uh, support the America Competes Act by a 65 point margin. That's, uh, you know, that's amazing. So you have Democrats, you have independents, you have Republicans. I think it shows that it's the right bill. We know it's the right time, right? We know it's the right time with everything going on in the world, especially with China and Russia, what we've been through with the pandemic, and we're not really through the pandemic entirely, um, what we've been through with the pandemic, and what we are seeing still uh, with the clog in the wheel with the supply chain, um, why on earth aren't we having more than 19 Republicans on board for this?
1: Yeah, you know, this is a At the end of the day um in dc there's two rumors that go around about why this bill won't get done and one of that is that um the the minority in the senate um, senate republicans see any win to president biden as as a negative and that's unfortunate and it quite honestly it's a disservice to their states and to the workers in those states and i think that that's a key piece here is i you know i look at oftentimes on our facebook page You'll have a member or an individual say, Well, President Biden, this or that. This isn't about President Biden. This is about 100 senators making a decision to invest in America. And I think that that's what we have to ask. So when Senator Grassley is, or Senator Burr, you know, a couple Republicans from North Carolina and Iowa, respectively, Senator Young out of Indiana, they're on this conference committee and they have a choice right they have a choice in investing workers in workers and trade adjustment assistance investing in manufacturings with the supply chain resilience act and a choice and uh, and a choice in investing in our trade law with leveling the playing field act
0: look bringing factories and jobs back to america is a a win point as a politician running for reelection yep. so it, it like you said the motivation has got to be that they care more about dinging a, a opposition party, which in this case were Republicans are Democrats, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, than providing for their constituency, because some of the people that you've met uh, mentioned, uh, they they have states that have been hit very hard in this pandemic, yeah. and they need these jobs.
1: That's right. I mean, very, and this very is, quickly because we have thirty seconds. Last yeah, week. no, I mean, and that's the point, right? Is it? It should be for your community and for your home. And that's what this bill can do if we get it right. And that's why we've been asking everyone to weigh in. Um, and so I really appreciate the time that you've given me today to talk a little bit about it, too.
0: Oh, I pre- appreciate Roy, you taking the time. Roy Hausman, Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers. Roy, always a pleasure. You know, one time when I'm in D.C., we got to get a coffee or a cocktail. How's that? That would be <laughs>
1: wonderful. <laughs>
0: I, I, I would love it. Uh, go to USW.org. Follow the Steelworkers at Steelworkers. Follow Roy at Roy. Houseman, I'm Leslie Marshall. Roy, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. A shout out to Marky Mark Grimaldi, our executive producer, who I also have, hope has a wonderful weekend. Apollo, who was my co-host with Barking here on the show today. And thank you, Roy, for your uh, understanding of that, the craziness all that we know from having home studios, right? Uh, and uh, I, think, uh, I think that's it, right, Mark? Uh, you know, over and out. Yeah. <laughs> have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Be safe, and please get vaccinated all right we're almost we're almost on the other side of this have a good